Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word, Lord. Um, we thank you uh, that your word reveals to us your love for all of humanity. Um, the Bible really, truly is a love story. Um, your love for us, how you've reached out to us, how you've uh, made a way um, for us to uh, come into a relationship with you through Christ. And Father, once we've been called in, you've then commissioned us as your ambassadors um, to share your love with others uh, from our local community um, to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, we, um, we recognize that this task is greater than we are able to fulfill. And so, Lord, we look to you as a church that you would, Lord, give us your heart, Lord, Help us to see people and individuals through your eyes. Father, where we lack love for one another, we pray that you would fill it with your love. Lord, help us um, to honor you with our lives and all that we do. As we open up the scriptures today, as we go through Jonah chapter 2, Lord, we ask that your spirit would um, give us understanding, give us discernment. Lord, help us. Uh, to, to really get into the story, that we would uh, allow the story of Jonah to come alive in our minds, in our imaginations, and that you would, um, Lord, just that you'd help us to take away principles from this story uh, that we can apply in our lives today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 2. <clears throat> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said I had been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great depth, the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who had regard, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And Father, we do thank you and praise you again for your word. We ask that you would help us now as we study this passage of Scripture. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so this month is sort of we're focusing on missions. We're, we're focusing on why do we really exist as a church? Um, so often when we talk about missions, we, we think to the end of, ends of the earth, and, and definitely there's an emphasis there. Um, but, but really, truly, em missions... Is it occurs in, in Valley Center, like in, in many ways from, from the start of the Bible to where we are today, 
Valley Center is kind of the ends of the earth from a, from a, from a biblical perspective, but we live here, so it doesn't seem like the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth seems like Israel, where the whole story began. And, and so, so really, uh, this great commission that we're a part of, sort of the governing verse, uh, you know, if you're inclined to memorize some scripture, um, Acts 1-8, sort of, um, Jesus spoke. It was as he was about to depart, um, one of the first commissions given to the church, he says, but, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the outermost part of the earth. And so, so we as a church, we want to reach Valley Center for Christ. We also want to be a part of, from you know, the, the next, like Judea and Samaria would be, you know, Escondido and, and, and a little bit beyond, maybe even to Mexico, uh, to, to the outermost part of the earth. Um, that's the reason for the last Sunday that we're going to do some, the, the international, um, the international uh, potluck. I was like, what's that second word I'm looking for? Um, um, you know, it's good. It's great to see John wherever he is. I don't exactly see him right now, but he's, no, not that John. It's great to see you too, John. But that's a John, you know, re- recovering from back surgery. I didn't want to really put barbecuing on him, you know, because he has, we do, we do have a grill that's available for use. Um, but if we, you know, kind of come with this international flair, you know, surprise me. We all like food, and I like international food. And, and even if you bring something American that tastes good, nobody's going to kick you out of the, the festivities. Um, it looks like we definitely are going to have the Tons with us who are transitioning to uh, Thailand. Um, we will have the guests who are here in San Diego um, temporarily from Romania. And I, I keep putting pressure on Josh Manning to see what, what he's going to do. So the Mannings may be with us as well. But it'll be a great time of just celebration to sort of reflect upon what we do. Uh, today, you know, we kick off Operation Christmas Child. And that really is a part of, you know, we bring these little shoe boxes with with items packed in them but but really the heart behind it is that those items in that box were giving a tool to somebody on the other side of the world i know last year the boxes went to mongolia seeing the pictures from this video a lot of those kids were from mongolia i could just tell by looking at them just to, to, to hear of the impact of how a shoe box can have for christ and so we do this um with the idea that that we want to do something greater um if you're interested, I'm still working out the details in my mind. I didn't, when, when, I, when I had the idea in my head, I'm like, well, I want to sort of think about Judea and Samaria. And, and, and my, some of the things that I've been gifted with, I think, are I, I like barbecue a lot. Um, I, ever since going to Africa, what I've, I've been having dreams. Um, see, Joe or Esther, really, she was raised in Brazil. And so I was introduced to Brazilian barbecue. So now my goal, my new life goal is to master um, Brazilian barbecue. So I have to do a few test runs. And, and, and I like law enforcement and military with my background. And so a few months ago, when I was sort of thinking about missions, I reached out to the lieutenant of the SWAT team in Escondido. I'm like, hey, man, I want to do something to kind of like for our church to kind of like reach the police department. It was before all of the drama. I'm like, can we do some barbecue thing at a SWAT training? And he's like... He's like, I'm pretty sure I can say yes to this. Like, if you're talking about barbecue and meat for us, we can do this. So, 
So I don't know how many people we'll need. I, I definitely am going to need a handful of people. It'll be in November, and I'll need people who don't really care about guns, and you're not going to be, like, I can't have people, they're working, and we're providing lunch. So I need people that could just not really care about what they're doing, and just to stay focused on barbecue. And I, I told Anna today, I'm like, I think I might want to try to fire up some Brazilian barbecue shake. Don't you think I need a, you need a practice? I said, well, I ate it once. That was good practice. And Joe, like... <laughs> Joe showed me. I think I can do it, and so I we you know so so just talk to me if you're interested in this. Um, but but the aim to really to bless our local law enforcement. R- really, it's beyond Valley Center. And the main thing is, well, I have a connection to this SWAT team. So why not just kind of, you know, we follow the paths that we have, and we'll see what God does through that. Um, and so this whole focus this month is to get our minds looking out. Uh, beyond our own church, into our community, and and beyond. Um, Jonah will remember from last week, God said to him, go, and Jonah said no, right? Now, on this map here, we think that he was probably in Jerusalem. He was definitely in Israel, which is sort of in this little sliver. Um, It was a little bit bigger back then, but modern-day Israel. God told Jonah to go up to Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq. Um, the similarities are really common. If you follow the news, like just listening to the news and reading the news this week, Mosul is really like a hotbed uh, today. ISIS is there. They're fighting uh, desperately to, to, to get out from under ISIS. If you were um, to look at Nahum chapter 3 of Nineveh during that day, um, that, that talks about murder and bodies being stacked up. It was a terrible place. They hated Israel, and the feelings were really reciprocated. Um, So some say, oh, well, Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. I don't think he was afraid at all. I think that he had deep-seated hatred for the people combined with an understanding of who God is. And so his greatest fear, if we're going to go with the thought of fear, is that God would actually forgive the people, that they would respond to Jonah's um, message. It would be the same today. I I think if I, I'm not going to do a display of hands, but I asked a bunch of you, hey guys, God has called me and our church to get in an airplane and we're going to fly to Mosul, Iraq, where ISIS is dominating, and we're going to walk the streets and just say, Jesus loves you, respond to him. I hear laughter right away. But I don't think the sign-up sheet would be that great. Like, um, we might have a little bit more fear in us. Like, like, like I don't know about hatred. There might be some hatred. There's, um, I don't know. I'm probably not going to ex- open this conversation here at church. But, I, but I, my, my thought is that most of us would be, like, afraid, um, legitimate fears to go to that part of the world. And so Jonah, likewise, um, he did not want to go. And so he goes to the opposite direction, to Joppa, which is the port city. Uh, he hops on a ship. He says, hey, where are you guys going? And he, he says, oh, there's a ship that's going to Tarshish, which is southern Spain, outside of Rhoda, is what we believe. It was the outermost part of the world by their standing. So Jonah gets on this boat. He goes to the farthest place in the world to flee from God. And as he gets on the boat, as they get out to sea, he goes below the decks. He falls asleep. He's sleeping soundly. 
a lesson we learned last week from that. If I said it clearly or not, I might have been halfway asleep myself. Um, I was very jet-lagged, and, and Jonah was asleep. He had peace. He was relaxed in the midst of this great storm. I don't think our emotions are always a good guide. You can be rebelling from God and have absolute peace from, uh, in the midst of your rebellion. Um, the storm starts taking off. The sailors are terrified. They realize that their lives are in jeopardy. They begin uh, jettisoning their, their gear, the stuff that they're supposed to be transporting, all of the valuable items, the very things um, that's their, their, their money, their survival. They begin throwing it overboard. Uh, somewhere in the commotion of it all, the skipper of the ship goes down below and he finds Jonah asleep. And he says, what are you doing? Our lives in jeopardy. Call out to your God. See what's happening. And eventually the guys, um, they cast lots. They roll the dice. There's a lot of speculation over. S- somehow in the midst of this, they, they, uh, they roll the dice. And the dice reveal that Jonah is the culprit. And so they say, Jonah, we have to have a talk. Everything pointed to you. And Jonah says, listen, I fear the true God. Well, you didn't fear him that much to run from him. <laughs> um, and he says, this whole storm is my fault. And what you need to do is you need to throw me overboard. And if you throw me overboard, everything will be fine. I, wonder, I still wonder, why didn't, if, if Jonah knew that was the solution, why didn't he just man up and throw himself overboard? Um, and so these non-believing, these Gentiles, these sailors... Um, you know, sailors haven't changed over the years. I probably I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, these are a, a rough, tough sort of group of guys. Um, they suddenly are doing a very honorable thing. Uh, they they call out to Jonah's God. They plead with him, "Have mercy with us. May this man's blood not be on our heads." We see no other option but to cast him overboard. They cast him overboard. Immediately the storm stops. These sailors are now worshiping the true God. We see that God already begins working in the midst of uh, Jonah's rebellion. In spite of Jonah, God is moving on the hearts of these men. These men worship the creator. Jonah goes under the water. He's swallowed by a fish. Verse 17 of chapter 1, the very last verse there, Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. And God says to Jonah, we need to talk. And so here we are in the belly of this whale. We, we get a glimpse of Jonah's uh, tug of war with God. In verse 1 we read, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, so here he is. Jonah begins pleading with God. Um, sometimes I've, I've noticed as a pastor, you go to prayer meetings and you sort of say, oh, what are your prayer requests? And, and prayer requests can be a little mundane at times. Like, uh, and I, and I, don't, I, I don't want to, you know, God says to, to, to pray always. But sometimes prayer meetings can turn into gossip meetings. Sometimes it's like, well, pray that the newspaper would come on time tomorrow morning uh, because yesterday it came at 7 and I really needed to be there by 6. And, 
And so I'll pray for my newspaper to be there on time tomorrow and, and because I'd really like to read the, what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, I've, like little things. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not making fun of our prayers. But sometimes our prayers can be a little bit shallow. And then there are times when there are desperate prayers. When your world is so fallen apart, so desperate, so out of control, like there is nothing that you can do. And the only thing that you can think of is praying is like, Lord, help. How did I get myself in this situation? I don't even know what to pray, God, but I need your intervention in this because I can't, I, I, I don't even know where to go from here. Um, this week, I was kind of trying to think through desperate prayers in my life, um, desperate prayers in others' lives. And I stumbled across a, a, a pretty good desperate prayer situation that wasn't my own life. I don't know if you guys remember back about, uh, man, has, what, what you, about six years ago in 2010, there were those, uh, it was in Chile, so that would make them Chilean, Chilean, Chilean people from Chile. They were down um, 2,000 feet in a mine, and they got trapped. And I remember watching, like, the news reports, and a, a day went by, a week went by. Uh, it, it went on and on and on for three months. And this is like, I, I remember reading the reports. I don't know about you, but the idea of being stuck 2,000 feet under, I don't like crawling in a crawl space under uh, the house. I remember I see Dave back there smiling. I remember Dave built his house from the ground up and he said, yeah, when I was building my house, I, they told me I only need 18 inches, but I said, let's double it. Let's just like, I want it to be like, a, uh, like and I'm like, amen, brother, because I get under any sort of, I go, like my brain goes to the worst case scenario. I could crawl under a perfectly good car. I'm like, what if like all of the wheels just fall off and I like am down here? My mind has an uncanny ability to go to the very worst case scenario. And so in searching about, like I stumbled across their story. There's a book. I think there's even a movie. There's a side of me that wants to read the book, but there's a side of me that says there's no way I can read this book. Um, but there's a, a, a book. Um, what is it called here? Um, the Deep Down Dark. Um, I think the movie is called 33 for the 33 guys. And there's an excerpt from the book. I did not read the book, but the excerpt is great. Um, on August 5th, a Christian man named Don Jose Enriquez turned to a fellow miner named Mario and whispered, God is the only way out of this. Before the miners, Mario announced, Don Jose, we know you are a Christian man and we need you to lead us in prayer. Will you? Hector Tabor explains what happened next. From that moment forward, Enriquez became known as the pastor to his fellow miners. Because as soon as he opens his mouth and begins to talk, it's clear that he knows how to speak of God and to God. Enriquez drops to his knees and tells the men they should also do so. Because when you pray, you have to humble yourselves before your creator. We aren't the best men. But Lord, have pity on us, Enrique begins. It's a simple statement, but it strikes several of the men hard. Nos somos los mejores hombres. We aren't the best of men. Victor Segovia knows he drinks too much. Victor Zamora is quick to anger. 
Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father he's been to his young daughter. He left his girl's mother, and he hasn't even done the basic fatherly thing of visiting his little girl, even though he knows his absence is inflicting a lasting hurt on her. Jesus Christ, our Lord, let us enter the sacred throne of your grace. Enrique continues, Consider this moment of difficulty of ours. We are sinners and we need you. Just about everyone who is at the, was at the entrance of the refuge or inside on his knees, Enrique is a man of God and suddenly here in this tomb, the religious severity of that many of them that found annoying, they found him annoying prior for his religiousness uh, during the everyday encounters of the A shift is exactly what they needed. We want you to make us stronger and to help us in this hour of need. Enrique says, there is nothing we can do humanly without your help. We need you to take charge of the situation. Please, Lord, take charge of this. So when I read this prayer, like when I stumbled across this prayer, I'm like, man, I really want to read this book. I'm like, there's no way I can do that to myself. I'll be having nightmares of being stuck under my house for days on end. <laughs> like, I, like, but, but talk about a situation, 2,000, this is like being in the belly of a whale, desperate prayers. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's something about a prayer in the midst of a, of a desperate and broken situation where you're utterly helpless. There's something about these prayers that's unexplainable. There's something about these moments of desperation where God has the ability to move in our hearts in ways that good times just simply don't offer God to move in us. And when I look through the Bible, there's some really great prayers in the Bible. And this is one of those prayers. We have a prayer that's recorded in Scripture from, I would suggest, one of the most desperate times in Jonah's life. Last week I said, don't let, the, don't let this fish, the Bible says nothing of a whale. We, we sort of somehow in our modern times... Um, we let the whale take center stage, or the, the great fish is what the Bible calls it. They go, this can't happen. People don't get swallowed by fishes. Well, people have been swallowed by fishes. There's some, there's some cases. Um, but God has the ability to create a fish to swallow a person. We as people can keep people underwater for months on, at a time, the submarine. And if we have the ability to do it, certainly God who created everything has the ability to provide a fish. So don't let the fish take center stage. God is the center stage of Jonah. God and his kindness, his mercy, his love for people. We see God moving in the sailors' lives. We see God moving in the life of Jonah. Um, I can say that because I believe that the author of Jonah is Jonah. And understanding that Jonah is writing this account about what happened in his life uh, give us, gives us key perspective of, of where Jonah's heart ended up. And then we see the people of Nineveh. We saw in Matthew that Jesus relates to the story and regards the story as literal. He tells them that he is going to be like Jonah. He was dead for three days and three nights in the tomb. And so we come to the story in the fish of Jonah's prayer. And Jonah says, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. 
I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. So Jonah is in the, the depth of death. Sheol, is, is, it could be translated hell. Um, there, there's a theological discussion. I don't know if debate is, is the right understanding. Whether did Jonah actually die during this encounter? Um, is he speaking about death figuratively? If you translate the Hebrew, I think that there's a strong case um, to say that, that Jonah died, that he, that he experienced death in this moment. Um, but he is in a dark, dark place. Um, he is at his rock bottom of sorts. I think we could, maybe he's at the uh, whale bottom or ocean bottom. Like he's down deep in a bad spot. He, his life, he has made the greatest mistake, I believe, in his whole life in his moment of rebellion with God. I don't know if you have ever reached this place of um, kind of hitting your rock bottom uh, some people's rock bottom is like way down low. Some people's like right here. I do believe that every person, if you're a Christian, you have to have had your rock bottom experience where you realize who you are in comparison to who God is and how uh, what, a, what a terrible sinner you actually are. And it's in those moments where we have our greatest awakenings. I, I know that I've been there. I find this incredibly encouraging Sort of going in reverse order, we see that Jonah cries out for help and that God heard him. And if we go back to more of the beginning of the verse, he says that he called out of his distress and God answered him. To think about that, is Jonah in any position to be asking God anything? The answer is no. Jonah is in rebellion, running from God, wanting nothing to do uh, with God, period. And yet he cries out to him for help. And in his rebellion, we see this great, merciful, kind, gentle, loving creator who hears him and answers him. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care where you are today. I know that the God of the scriptures cares about you and hears you and desires to, to move in your life. You haven't so messed up that you've broken the last straw with God that he's done with you. If you're alive, I know that there's still hope for you. I love, um, there's something that Alistair Begg says quite a bit. He's one of my favorites. I think it's because he speaks like a leprechaun. And so he, he, you know, he draws me in a little bit by his accent. And he often says the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And if you think about the story of Jonah, it really is a beautiful picture of a bunch of new beginnings. Like Jonah is going to get right with God in the belly. And it's going to take him for a little bit, but then he's going to mess up again. And then God's going to correct him again, and then he's going to restart again. Um, there's two, maybe three times. I'll have to kind of, as we go through this, sort of count them up. But I know that in my life, I've had to restart with God a whole bunch of times. 
And I'm so thankful that God is a God of many restarts. And when we read the pages of the Bible, there's only one perfect character, and that's Jesus. He's the only one. For the rest of us, we go along, we mess up, and it's like, oh, Lord, we need to get right with you. We, we confess, we repent, uh, we're renewed by His Spirit, 1 John 1, 9, that he, he, 1, 9, that He cleanses us, He restores us. Our salvation is based on the work of Christ, not our own work. It's by grace alone. It's a beautiful thing. And Jonah, his life is on the line to show us that God is a God of, he's okay with restarting. He's okay with, okay, let's, let's start over. It's okay. Then he continues. And he says, for you, in verse 3, had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So right away, the first thing that sort of grabs my attention in this is he says, for you had cast me into the deep. So it wasn't very long ago. It was just last week in verse 15. Who threw Jonah into the ocean? Those sailors. Remember, Jonah said, hey, if you guys want to you know, free everything up, Go ahead and just cast me in. But Jonah now, in the belly of the great fish, as he's praying out and seeking God, he sees the sovereignty that God reigns and rules, and God's hand is greater than our own sin and greater than other people's sin. And he recognizes that even though this is his rebellion, even though he had those guys throw him in, ultimately he sees his situation as God's hand of discipline on him, ultimately, which is an act of love on God's part. Spoiling your kids is not loving your kids. Disciplining your kids in a Christ-like loving way demonstrates love for them because you see the bigger picture of what's happening. When you're a child, it doesn't feel that way. Amen? Like No kids or silence. Um, so there's some tension here. Jonah says, your hand cast me into the deep in this picture of him like going through the surf zone, falling, falling, falling. Uh, the, the imagery throughout this passage, it's going to get more colorful. Um, the, the word pictures that Jonah uses, if you've ever uh, had the experience of going through like a terrible experience in the ocean, or maybe it's just me, like I have a lot of experience, near drowning experiences, um, it's beautiful language in a terrifying sort of way. And he recognizes that, that God's hand is behind this. Um, I, I think one lesson I learn in his prayer here is that God's discipline is good. Um, so there are situations that we find ourselves in that, that we sin, we make a mistake. In this situation, Jonah is the one who got himself into this dilemma. And he recognizes that God's hand is now disciplining him. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm really excited about Hebrews, my aim. You know, for those of you that are really like, where are we going next? You know, when we finish Matthew, we're going to go into Hebrews next year. And Hebrews 12, 11 says that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Amen. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And in this whole section, it talks about that if you're a child of God, there's assurance and affirmation when you see 
his hand of discipline in your life. And Jonah here, as he's, as he's sinking into the ocean, as he's swallowed up by this great fish, he recognizes that even though those men threw him overboard, ultimately he's in this situation because of his own rebellion, and it's God's faithful hand who is disciplining him. And everything is sort of, in his mind, is sorted out. Now, I would go on to to further say that God can and will use the consequences of other people's sin that affect your life for good. I know in my own life, with my own childhood and upbringing, being raised by a very abusive mother that, that I was taken away after testifying against her in court at 11 years old, wrestling with how, how does God sort of fit into this whole picture? And over the years, becoming a Christian, one of the great verses that, that, that has ministered to me is Paul at Mars Hill, reasoning with these Greek minds, explaining, he says, you know, I noticed all of these gods, but there's this one God over here that says the unknown God. I want to talk to you about that God. And as he begins explaining about that God, In Acts 17, verses 25 through 27, he says, uh, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So from this, I'm going to pause here. Paul says that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. From them, mankind grew and developed and started filling the earth. And so by the time I rolled around and I was born of accident by my dad and mother, my dad said I was the greatest mistake he ever made, that I'm told by scriptures that I was no accident. I might have been a surprise to him. But to my creator, I wasn't a surprise. And here I found myself in California in a, a really a terrible situation from the outside. And it was no accident that I was born into these circumstances. And he goes on to continue back in Acts 17. He said the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. So when I look at the scripture, I look at my life and I see other people's sin that affected me, it's like, okay, Lord, I clearly am a pretty stubborn, hard-headed guy that I needed to be in this situation because this is the sweet spot for me that I might reach out for him and grope for him. And that word grope, I know I've probably sound like a broken record to you guys, but it's the word, the image that a blind person using their hands to see groping, feeling for him. And so here Jonah, he recognizes that his situation he caused, but ultimately God is the one who's working behind the scenes to bring Jonah back to restoration. And the prayer continues in verse 4. So I said that I had been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look towards your holy temple. The irony here. So I said I have been expelled from your sight. 
going back to Jonah 1.3, what was Jonah trying to do? He was trying to flee from God, which was foolish because his theology would have told him that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There is nowhere that man can go up to outer space or to the depths of the sea. There is nowhere that man can go that God is not present. That's a comforting thing for us. But so Jonah, who's trying to flee from the presence of God, he now is terrified that he's actually accomplished the very thing which he is. He's, he says, I've been expelled from your sight. And so Jonah, if you're expelled from sight, how are you now praying to this God? Well, he knows that ultimately God is everywhere. To be separated from God, that is the definition of hell. To be absent from his pre- presence. Like, have you ever felt like you'd so messed up that you thought God was done with it's the, it's a It is a terrifying place to be. In my however many years that I've been in ministry, there's been a couple of cases where I've talked with individuals who have made some very poor choices. And they were terrified in the midst of their poor choices that they'd made, now that they had turned their hearts back to God, they were horrified that in their period of rebellion that they had committed the unpardonable sin. And they were horrified that God wouldn't allow them to enter back in. And so my simple response to them, if you're feeling that, that means that you've not committed the unpardonable sin because you desire him. In my research this week, looking for examples of of banishment. I, I stumbled across one pastor who, t- who brought up the movie The Patriot. And there's a scene in The Patriot. I, I can't even remember if I saw the movie. I feel like I, I possibly have seen the movie The Patriot. It's a, dealing with the Revolutionary War and Mel Gibson is The Patriot. And he referenced a scene where Mel Gibson is going to war. And so I'm kind of sitting at the co- computer like Google, Googling The Patriot, daughter, saying goodbye. And I find the movie clip. I don't even know, know if I'm going to use it. So technically, I'm not using this. I'm telling you about my experience of researching this. And so the scene that the pastor had referenced was the scene where where the patriot is saying goodbye to his wife. He's going to war, and he says, I love you, honey. I'll be back. I'll be back shortly. You can trust I'll be home. Real good, like, for the warrior. And he's like, God, that's awesome. Then he kneels down to his little girl that's like seven years old, a blonde curly hair. I have that same model at my house. (laughs) And he's like, honey, I love you. I'll be back. And the girl stands there and says nothing to him. And the patriot is pleading, honey, say something, anything, say something to me. And the little girl says nothing. And so then he gets up, he goes on his horse, and he's, he starts galloping away. And the little girl says, Dad, I'll say anything, anything you want me to say. I'll say if you just don't leave me, just don't leave. And at this point, I like start bawling. And then Anna opens the door. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, doing sermon research. She's like, you look like you're one, looks like you're doing movie reviews. And I like... It's this movie, the little girl. She's like, I don't really care about the movie, the little girl. And she's like, you're bawling. I know, it's powerful. And I'm sitting here looking at this movie of this little clip. And she's like, why are you bawling? It's like, because I'm a dad of a little girl. And the thought of going away and her not saying anything and then her pleading with me, 
It's heartbreaking. And I imagine this 17-year-old gunner with no kids would look at me like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> it's just a little scene in a movie. And my guess is if you're here and you've never experienced the taste of God, the thought of him banishing you means nothing to you. Because I'm pretty good with my life. Like, well, I've never experienced the love of God. But if you've experienced the love of God in the fellowship with your creator, the thought of losing that is the most terrifying, heart-wrenching feeling. And that's where Jonah is. And as he's pleading with God, when I look at the prayers of the Bible from like Psalm 51, David's repentance about Bathsheba, all of these prayers in their repentance, what it leads to is true worship. It says, Lord, if you forgive me, and he will, I will respond by serving you, by loving you. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah says, if you restore me, I will worship you. And this isn't some empty prayer. He goes on and he says, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. This imagery of this drowning sensation. If you've ever scuba dived, if you've ever done what they call like a bounce dive to do a dive that's down like over 100 feet, there's something about being off the coast of Point Loma. When you can dive down at about 100 feet, the, the kelp that you see on the surface and you get down there and the light if you're diving during the daytime, it's just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The kelp just like radiates and it's like walking i mean you're swimming but it's like walking through a pine forest and if you've ever experienced the terror of uh, of being in the ocean see i grew up surfing and and being in some big big waves when i was one of my contemporaries like he was about four years younger than me but i remember being like high school and early into my seal teams jay moriarty this young man he died uh, free diving um but he was, as Mavericks, this huge surf break was discovered. He was like a 19-year-old kid, and Surfer Magazine, like, put him on the cover of, like, burning in it Mavericks, like this huge, like, wave. There's a movie about it, Chasing Mavericks. It's one of my favorite movies. And, like, the kids, there's a few scenes you got to fast forward with little kids. But, like, there's a scene, like, if you're big wave surfing, you got to be able to hold your breath for four minutes. And so there's scenes in this movie where they're underwater, like counting in their mind, like if you don't get up in four minutes, you're, you're done, you're toast. And so this, so I have experience with, so when I read this, you encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. When you're going through the washing machine is what we call it, like the tumbling around, you're just a rag doll. Like you have not, like no control over anything. It, it's it's terrifying. Apparently, the other night, Anna had a nightmare, and I was really bad at comforting her because I was still asleep, but I woke up, and I was, like, in trouble. She's like, you were terrible last night. And I said, what I, what I even do? Like, it's awesome when you wake up and you're in trouble. And she's like, I was having a dream that our family was in a helicopter, and it crashed in the water. And I'm like, oh, that's really bad. We're toast. And she's like, that's exactly what you told me in the middle of the night. <laughs> I'm like, like, you're just told, like, if you crash in a helicopter, 
it flips over and is down. And she's like, you're supposed to be comforting me. I'm like, I was asleep and I was giving you the facts. Like you're in trouble. It's true. It's, you're, it's terrifying. You don't want to crash in a helicopter, period. But in water, it's even worse. Like, it's just not. Like, and the military sends you to the crashing in the dump tank where you go underwater. All it does is, like, affirm that you're toast. And I think this is what Jonah was feeling before the fish swallowed him up. He's down there. And, he, and in the midst of his terror, like, I, the, 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 I've often joked about the great butts in the Bible. We have one of the great butts in the Bible where everything is going wrong, and then there's this but God. But God intervenes. But you have brought up my life from the pit that God has redeemed that which was gone, death. You have brought my life up from the pit. Oh, my Lord, my God. This is beautiful. God can redeem whatever mess you have got yourself into. He can fix it. He might not fix it how you'd like it to be fixed, but he can fix it. He continues, while I was fainting away and I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. See, I, I, I love this. Jonah, in the midst of his rebellion, he had a foundation that was imprinted on his soul of the true and living God. Much of his prayer there are PhDs that have studied this prayer. And they say this is so similar to the Psalms, so similar to the Psalms. And my guess is, is that he knew the Psalms. The Psalms were ingrained. And so when he was in desperation, he just began cut and pasting out of his heart the Psalms together, that this prayer. And I think that there's a lesson when we see him as he's fainting away, as he's so wandered from God. See, Jonah wasn't a prophet before the story. Jonah became a prophet in this story. He's just a regular guy. And I think that there's a lesson for us as parents, as grandparents, that there is extreme value to spend time placing the word of God into your children and your grandchildren's hearts because when they go away, God will use that in ways that we can't fathom. And so here Jonah is. He's in rebellion. His life is fading away. And in this moment, he has theology. He knows the true God. And he cries out to this God. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I love this. I love that Charles Swindoll, one of his sayings is, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. And in his rebellion, as his life is fading away, he turns to his creator, the one that he's running from. And he says, as I cried out to you, you heard me, and I looked to your holy temple. In verse 8, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. He looks at those that are worshiping in vain. He says, if I get out of this pickle, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to make sacrifices to you with a voice of thanksgiving. This is powerful. I think one thing that God wants from us more than anything is, is a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness. I, I so love that we're entering in the, the, the season of thanksgiving, our like our society tries to already is trying to bypass Thanksgiving. Like I've, I've noticed, like I think Christmas supplies are there. Halloween's definitely been there since like 
Christmas. I think the election probably has everybody so depressed that Halloween's now looking like, hey, this is a pretty uplifting holiday. Let's like, like this is looking good. And then and, and Christmas, let's, let's get to happy times. But one thing I've noticed from those who encounter God and they recognize who God is and they give their hearts to him, suddenly their per- perspective is we have nothing but thanksgiving. God, you're so good to me. Like the fact that you've saved me and I have a relationship with you is, is more than anything I could have ever asked. And yet there's the sunshine. And we get a lot of it. And, and we can, like, just thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. You drive down the road and say, Lord, we are so blessed to have the roads that we have. Or maybe we live in Valley Center and we say, thank God that I have a dirt, bumpy road that I can drive down while the rest of everybody else has to drive on concrete. Like, we're Valley Center people. It's a little different. Like, like, like we can just go around and give thanks. You know, there's a study that was published in the Wall Street Journal a few years back. And dealing with this, science has now proven with the Bible <laughs> that, that, that being thankful is good for you. The, the, the article says that adults who frequently feel gratitude have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not. According to studies conducted over the past decade, they're also less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or alcoholics. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have a greater resistance to viral infections. Now researchers are finding that gratitude bring similar benefits in children and adolescents. Studies also show that kids who feel and act grateful tend to be less materialistic, get better grades, set higher goals, complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches, and feel more satisfied with their friends, families, and schools than those who don't. The researchers concluded a lot of those findings are things we learned in kindergarten or our grandmothers told us, but now we have scientific evidence to prove them. The key point is not to leave it on the Thanksgiving table. They did a 10-year scientific study to come up with this. Like being grateful, this is an earmark of those, or it should be, of those who follow Christ. There's great importance in being thankful. Okay, for time, verse 9, or the second part of it, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. This isn't some empty promise he's making. And I think we need to be careful when we make vows to God. I know I've made a few vows that I really think were stupid vows in the past. And thankfully for his mercy, he's let me sort of make my vows in a more Christian way to him. That which I have vowed, I will pay. He says, salvation is from the Lord. There is no other way to experience salvation. In Christ alone, John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that Jesus is the salvation that the Lord has provided for us. And then in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on dry, dry land. Like imagine his stinking situation. I've never been vomited out of a fish. There's a story. There's a story out of England about a guy that it was actually swallowed by a fish, and they say the damn like the the acid in the stomach, like really like bleached his skin out and really messed him up. Um, I haven't got to the source of the article yet, 
but there's, it's floating out there around. I know that if I cut up fish, my hands reek for a long time. Um, I, the, before I went to Africa, one of my last meals that I had is we went down to the Point Loma Seafood, and Ellie is like big into Pacific cod for some reason right now. It's like I, I don't even know if she knows what it is. But we walked into Point Loma Seafood, and the store is amazing. There's like just fish everywhere, and the smell is beautiful. It makes me so hungry. But Ellie walks in there. She's like, this is terrible. Like, I'm like, honey, if you like Pacific cod, this is, she's like, are you sure they know which one to grab? I'm like, honey, they know. They've been doing it for a long time. But there's something about that smell of fish that just lingers. And so here Jonah is. He's about to walk into Mosul or Nineveh with this fish story. Here I was in a fish. God wants you to repent. Can you imagine the look on people's faces? Well, you should be able to. Because we have the same foolish story. That there was this man who was born in Nazareth. From a virgin. He lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And I gave my life to him and I was totally transformed by this man. This is just as crazy as the fish story. And if you know Jesus, this is your story as well. Think of the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I love the story of Jonah. Father, I thank you that we learn about you through Jonah. We learn about your heart. We learn about your love for us. We We learn about your great forgiveness, your great mercy, your long-suffering patience towards us. Father, I don't know everybody's story that's here listening to this now. But Father, I pray for those who find themselves in a situation that is greater than they can handle, where maybe they think they've blown it and that you're done with them. I thank you for the hope that we find in Jonah. I thank you, Lord, that we learn that you are a God of many chances. I thank you that you do not give up on us, that you continue to pursue us. And so, Lord, we give you our lives. We call out to you. We ask that you would help us in our times of distress. Father, we pray that we would keep our eyes focused on you when things are going well and everything is going right. Lord, help us to have your eyes and your heart for the world around us. We love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.